CD6 The wind roared in when the doors were opened, swirling twigs and rain and granny weatherwax blown like a leaf. She was soaked and covered in mud, her dress torn in several places. Agnes realised that she'd never actually seen Granny Weatherwax wet before, even after the worst storm, but now she was drenched. Water poured off her and left a trail on the floor. "'Mistress Weatherwax, so good of you to come,' said the Count. "'Such a long walk on a dark night. Do sit by the fire for a while and rest.' "'I'll not rest here,' said Granny. "'At least have a drink or something to eat, then.' "'I'll not eat nor drink here.' "'Then what will you do? "'You know well why I've come.' "'She looks small,' said Perdita, "'and tired, too. "'Ah, yes, the set-piece battle, the great gamble, "'the weatherwax trademark. <laughs> "'And, let me see, your shopping list today will be, "'if I win, I will expect you to free everyone "'and go back to Uberwald. <laughs> Am I right?' "'No, I will expect you to die,' said Granny. "'To her horror, Agnes saw that the old woman was swaying slightly.' The Count smiled. Excellent! But I know how you think, Mistress Weatherwax. You always have more than one plan. You're standing there, clearly one step away from collapse, and yet I'm not entirely certain that I believe what I'm seeing. I couldn't give a damn what you're certain of, said Granny. But you daren't let me walk out of here, I do know that, cos you can't be sure of where I'll go or what I'll do. I could be watching you from any pair of eyes. I might be behind any door. I have a few favours I might call in. I could come from any direction at any time. And I'm good at malice. So, if I was so impolite, I could kill you right now. A simple arrow would suffice. Corporal Spitz. The mercenary gave a wave that was as good as he'd ever get to a salute and raised his crossbow. Are you sure, said Granny, is your ape... Sure he'd have time for a second shoot, that I'd still be here. You're not a shape-changer, Mistress Weatherwax, and by the look of it you're in no position to run. She's talking about moving herself into someone else's head, said Vlad. The witches looked at one another. Sorry, Esme, said Nanny Og at last. I couldn't stop myself thinking. I don't think I'd drunk quite enough. Oh, yes, said the Count, the famous borrowing trick. But you don't know where, you don't know how far, said Granny wearily. You don't even know what kind of head. You don't know if it has to be a head. All you know about me is what you can get out of other people's minds, and they don't know all about me, not by a long way. And so yourself is put elsewhere, said the Count. Primitive. I've met them, you know, on my travels, strange old men in beads and feathers who could put their inner self into a fish, an insect, even a tree, and as if it mattered. Wood burns. I'm sorry, Mistress Weatherwax, as King Verence is so fond of saying, there's a new world order. We are it. You are history. He flinched. The three witches dropped to the ground. Well done, he said. A shot across my bows. I felt that. I actually felt it. No one in Uberwald has ever managed to get through. I can do better than that, said Granny. I don't think you can, said the Count, because if you could, you would have done so. No mercy for the vampire, eh? The cry of the mob throughout the ages. He strolled towards her. Do you really think we're like some inbred elves or gormless humans and can be cowed by a firm manner and a bit of trickery? We're out of the casket now, Mistress Weatherwax. I have tried to be understanding towards you, because really we do have a lot in common. But now... Granny's body jerked back like a paper doll caught by a gust of wind. The Count was halfway towards her, hands in the pockets of his jacket. He broke his step momentarily. Oh dear, I hardly felt that one, he said. Was that your best? Granny staggered but raised a hand. A heavy chair by the wall was picked up and tumbled across the room. "'For a human, that was quite good,' said the Count. "'But I don't think you can keep on sending it away.' Granny flinched and raised her other hand. A huge chandelier began to swing. "'Oh, dear,' 
said the Count. Still not good enough, not nearly good enough. Granny backed away. But I will promise you this, said the Count. I won't kill you. On the contrary. Invisible hands picked her up and slammed her against the wall. Agnes went to step forward, but Magrat squeezed her arm. "'Don't think of it as losing, Granny Weatherwax,' said the Count. "'You will live forever. "'I would call that a bargain, wouldn't you?' Granny managed a sniff of disapproval. "'I'd call that unambitious,' she said. Her face screwed up in pain. "'Goodbye,' said the Count. The witches felt the mental blow. The hall wavered. But there was something else in a realm outside normal space, something bright and silvery slipping like a fish. "'She's gone,' whispered Nanny. "'She sent herself somewhere.' "'Where? Where?' hissed Magrat. "'Don't think about it,' said Nanny. Magrat's expression froze. "'Oh, no,' she began. "'Don't think it! Don't think it!' said Nanny urgently. "'Pink elephants! Pink elephants!' she wouldn't. "'La-la-la-la-la-la-la! <laughs> shouted Nanny, dragging Magrat towards the kitchen door. "'Come on, let's go. Agnes, it's up to you two. The door slammed behind them. Agnes heard the bolt slide home. It was a thick door and they were big bolts. The builders of Lancre Castle hadn't understood the concept of planks less than three inches thick, or locks that couldn't withstand a battering ram. The situation would to an outsider have seemed very selfish. But logically, three witches in danger had been reduced to one witch in danger. Three witches would have spent too much time worrying about one another and what they were going to do. One witch was her own boss. Agnes knew all this, and it still seemed selfish. The Count was walking towards Granny. Out of the corner of her eye, Agnes could see Vlad and his sister approaching her. There was a solid door behind her. Perdita wasn't coming up with any ideas. So she screamed. That was a talent. Being in two minds wasn't a talent, it was merely an affliction. But Agnes's vocal range could melt earwax at the top of the scale. She started high and saw that she'd judged right. Just after the point where bats and woodworm fell out of the rafters and dogs barked down in the town, Vlad clapped his hands over his ears. Agnes gulped for breath. Another step and I'll do it louder, she shouted. The Count picked up Granny Weatherwax as though she were a doll. I'm sure you will, he said, and sooner or later you will run out of breath. Vlad, she followed you home. You may keep her, but she's your responsibility. You have to feed her and clean out her cage. The younger vampire approached cautiously. "'Look, you're really not being sensible,' he hissed. "'Good!' And then he was beside her. But Perdita had been expecting this, even if Agnes hadn't, and as he arrived her elbow was already well into its thrust and caught him in the stomach before he could stop it. She strode forward as he doubled up, noting that inability to learn was a vampire trait that was hard to shake off. The Count laid Granny Weatherwax on the table. "'Igor!' he shouted. "'Where are you, you stupid?' "'Yes, master.' The Count spun round. "'Why do you always turn up behind me like that?' "'The old Count always expected it of me, master. "'It's a professional thing.' "'Well, stop it.' "'Yes, master.' "'And the ridiculous voice, too. "'Go and ring the dinner gong.' "'Yes, master.' "'And I've told you before about the walk.' the Count shouted, as Igor limped across the hall. It's not even amusing! Igor walked past Agnes, lisping nastily under his breath. Vlad caught up with Agnes as she strode towards the table, and she was slightly glad because she didn't know what she'd do when she got there. You must go, he panted. I wouldn't have let him hurt you, of course, but father can get testy. Not without Granny, a faint voice in her head said, Leave me! That wasn't me, Perdita volunteered. I think that was her. Agnes stared at the prone body. Granny Weatherwax looked a lot smaller when she was unconscious. Would you like to stay for dinner? said the Count. You're going to, after all this talk, you're going to suck her blood? We are vampires, Miss Knit. It's a vampire thing. A little sacrament, shall we say. How can you? She's an old lady. He spun round and was suddenly standing too close to her. The idea of a younger aperitif is attractive, believe me, he said, but Vlad would sulk. Anyway, blood develops character, just like your old wines. She won't be killed, not as such. At her time of life, I should welcome a little immortality. But she hates vampires. 
This may present her with a problem when she comes round, since she will be a rather subservient one. Oh, dear. The Count reached down and picked up oats from under the table by one arm. What a bloodless performance. I remember Omnians when they were full of certainty and fire, and led by men who were courageous and unforgiving, albeit quite unbelievably insane. How they would despair of all this milk-and-water stuff. Take him away with you, please. Shall I see you again tomorrow? said Vlad, proving to Agnes that males of every species could possess a stupidity gene. You won't be able to turn her into a vampire, she said, ignoring him. She won't be able to help it, said the Count. It's in the blood, if we choose to put it there. She'll resist. That would be worth seeing. The Count dropped Oates onto the floor again. Now go away, Miss Knit. Take your soggy priest. Tomorrow, well, you can have your old witch back, but she'll be ours. There's a hierarchy. Everyone knows that. Who knows anything about vampires? Behind him... Oates was being sick. Agnes thought of the hollow-eyed people now working in the castle. No one deserved that. She grabbed the priest by the back of his jacket and held him like a bag. Goodbye, Miss Knit, said the Count. She hauled the limp Oates to the main doors. Now it was raining hard outside, great heavy unmerciful rain slanting out of the sky like steel rods. She kept close to the wall for the slight shelter that this gave and propped him up under the gush from a gargoyle. He shuddered. Oh, that poor old woman, he moaned, slumping forward so that a flattened star of rain poured off his head. Yes, said Agnes. The other two had run off. They'd shared a thought, and Perdita had too. They'd all felt the shock as Granny set her mind free, and, well, the baby was even called Esme, wasn't she? But she couldn't have imagined Granny's voice in her head. She had to be somewhere close. I really made a terrible uh, mess of it, didn't I? said Oates. Yes, said Agnes vaguely. No, lending herself to the baby did have a sort of rightness to it, a folklore touch, a romantic ring, and that's why Nanny and Magrat would probably believe it, and that was why Granny wouldn't do it. Granny had no romance in her soul, Agnes thought, but she did have a very good idea of how to manipulate the romance in other people. So, where else was she? Something had happened. She'd put the essence of herself somewhere for safety, and no matter what she told the Count, she couldn't have put it very far away. It had to be in something alive, but if it was in a human, the owner wouldn't even know it. If only I'd used the right exorcism, Oates mumbled. Wouldn't have worked, said Agnes sharply. I don't think they're very religious vampires. It's probably only once in his life that a priest gets a chance like this. You were just the wrong person, said Agnes. If a pamphlet had been the right thing to scare them away, then you'd have been the very best man for the job. She stared down at Oates. So did Perdita. Brother Malchio is going to get very abrupt about this, he said, pulling himself to his feet. Oh, look at me. I'm all covered in mud. Uh, uh, why are you looking at me like that? Oh, just an odd thought. The vampires still don't affect your head. What do you mean? They don't affect your mind. They don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> Most of the time I don't even know what I'm thinking, said Oates miserably. Really? said Agnes. Really? said Perdita. He was right, mumbled Oates, not listening. I've let everyone down, haven't I? I should have stayed in the college and taken that translating post. There wasn't even any thunder and lightning with the rain. It was just hard and steady and grim. "'But I'm ready to have another go,' said Oates. "'You are? Why? "'Did not Kazrin return three times into the Valley of Mayhag "'and wrest the cup of Hyaride from the soldiers of the Oolites while they slept?' "'Did he?' "'Yes, I'm... I'm... I'm sure of it. "'And did not Om say to the prophet Brutha, "'I will be with you in dark places?' Oh, "'I imagine he did.' Yes, he did. He must have done. And, said Agnes, on that basis you'd go back in? Yes. Why? Because if I didn't, what use am I? What use am I anyway? I don't think we'd survive a second time, said Agnes. They let us go this time because it was the cruel thing to do. Dang, 
I've got to decide what to do now, and it shouldn't be me. I'm the maiden, for goodness sake. She saw his expression and added, for reasons she'd find hard to explain at the moment, a technical term for the junior member of a trio of witches. I shouldn't have to decide things. Yes, I know it's better than making the tea. Um, I didn't say anything about uh, making the tea. Now, sorry, that was someone else. What is it she wants me to do? Especially since now you think you know where she's hiding, said Perdita. There was a creak, and they heard the hall doors open. Light spilled out, shadows danced in the mist raised by the driving rain. There was a splash and the doors shut again. As they closed, there was a sound of laughter. Agnes hurried to the bottom of the steps, with the priest squelching along beside her. There was already a wide and muddy puddle at this end of the courtyard. Granny Weatherwax lay in it, her dress torn, her hair uncoiling from its rock-hard bun. There was blood on her neck. They didn't even lock her in a cell or something, said Agnes, steaming with rage. They just threw her like a meat bone. I suppose um, they think she is locked up now, the poor soul, said Oates. Let's get her under cover, at least. Oh, yes, of course. Agnes took hold of Granny's legs and was amazed that someone so thin could be so heavy. Perhaps there'd be someone, um, in the village, said Oates, staggering under his end of the load. Not a good idea, said Agnes. Oh, but surely. What would you say to them? This is Granny. Can we leave her here? Oh, and when she wakes up, she'll be a vampire. Ah, hmm. It's not as though people are that happy to see her anyway, unless they're ill. Agnes peered around through the rain. Come on, let's go around to the stables and the mews. There's sheds and things. King Verence opened his eyes. Water was pouring down the window of his bedroom. There was no light but that which crept in under the door, and he could just make out the shapes of his two guards nodding in their seats. A window pane tinkled. One of the Ubervaldians went and opened the window, looked out into the wild night, found nothing of interest, and shuffled back to his seat. Everything felt very pleasant. It seemed to Verence that he was lying in a nice warm bath, which was very relaxing and comfortable. The cares of the world belonged to someone else. He bobbed like happy flotsam on the warm sea of life. He could hear very faint voices, apparently coming from somewhere below his pillow. Rick, did you tell Helen big jobs? Ah, I should kill Something rustled on the floor. The chair of one man jerked up into the air and bobbed at speed to the window. Yep. The chair and its occupant crashed through the glass. The other guard managed to get to his feet, but something was growing in the air in front of him. To Verence, an alumnus of the Fool's Guild, it looked very much like a very tall human pyramid made up of very small acrobats. It grew level with the guard's face. The single figure at the top yelled, What you looking at, Chamey? Ha! Are we testy? And launched itself directly at a point between the man's eyes. There was a little cracking noise and the man keeled over backwards. Hup, hup, yip! The living pyramid dissolved to floor level. Verence heard tiny pattering feet and suddenly there was a small, heavily tattooed man in a blue pointy hat standing on his chin. See you, Kingy! Our Echter Brennock, yeah? Well done, Verence murmured. How long have you been a hallucination? Jolly good. Can ya saggy ya spark it? That's the way, said Verence dreamily. Auch tan hulwit. Hip, hip. Verence felt himself lifted off the bed. Hundreds of little hands passed him from one to the other, and he was glided through the window and out into the void. It was a sheer wall, and he told himself dreamily he had no business drifting down it so slowly to cries of, Taya, to me, hayup! Tiny hands caught his collar, his nightshirt, his bed socks. Good show, he murmured, as he slid gently to the ground, and then, six inches above ground level, was carried off into the night. There was a light burning in the rain. Agnes hammered on the door, and the wet wood gave way to the slightly better vision of Hodgesarg the falconer. We've got to come in, she said. Yes, Miss Nate. He stood back obediently as they carried Granny into the little room. She been hurt, Miss. You do know there's vampires in the castle, said Agnes. Yes, Miss, said Hodges Arg. His voice suggested that he'd just been told a fact, and he was waiting with polite interest to be told whether this was a good fact or a bad fact. They bit Granny Weatherwax. We need to let her lie down somewhere. Or there's my bed, Miss. It was small and narrow, designed for people who went to bed because they were tired. 
She might bleed on it a bit, said Agnes. Oh, I bleed on it all the time, said Hodges Arg cheerfully, and on the floor. I've got any amount of bandages and ointment, if that'll be any help. Well, it won't do no harm, said Agnes. Uh, Hodges Arg, you do know vampires suck people's blood, do you? Yes, miss. They'll have to queue up behind the birds for mine, then. <laughs> it doesn't worry you. Mrs. Og made me a huge tub of ointment, miss. That seemed to be that. Provided they didn't touch his birds, Hodges Og didn't much mind who ran the castle. For hundreds of years, the falconers had simply got on with the important things, like falconry, which needed a lot of training, and left the kinging to amateurs. She's uh, soaking wet, said Oates. At least let's wrap her up in a blanket or something. And you'll need some rope, said Agnes. Rope? She'll wake up. You mean we ought to mm, tie her up? If a vampire wants to turn you into a vampire, what happens? Oates's hands clasped his turtle pendant for comfort as he tried to remember. I um, think they put something in the blood, he said. I think if they want to turn you uh, into a vampire... You get turned, that's all there is to it. I don't think you can fight it when it's in the blood. You can't say you don't want to join. Hmm, I, I don't think it's a power you can resist. She's good at resisting, said Agnes. That good, said Oates. One of the Uberwald people shuffled along the corridor. It stopped when it heard a sound, looked around, saw nothing that had apparently made a noise and plodded on again. Nanny Og stepped out of the shadows and then beckoned Magrat to follow her. Sorry, Nanny, it's very hard to keep a baby quiet. Shh! There's a bit of noise coming from the kitchens. What could vampires want to cook? It's those people they've brought with them, hissed Magrat. They've been moving in new furniture. They've got to be fed, I suppose. Yeah, like cattle. I reckon our best bet is to walk out bold as brass, said Nanny. These folk don't look like they're big on original thinking. Ready? She absent-mindedly took a swig from the bottle she was carrying. You just follow me. But look, what about Verence? I can't just leave him, he's my husband. What will they do to him that you could prevent if you was here? said Nanny. Keep the baby safe, that's the important thing. It always has been. Anyway, I told you he's got protection, I saw to that. What, magic? Much better than that. Now you just follow me and act snooty. You must have learned that, being a queen. Never let them even think you haven't got a right to be where you are. She strode out into the kitchen. The shabbily-dressed people there gave her a dull-eyed look, like dogs waiting to see if a whipping was in prospect. On the huge stove, in place of Mrs. Scorbick's usual array of scoured clean pots, was a large, blackened cauldron. The contents were basic grey. Nanny wouldn't have stirred it for a thousand dollars. "'Just passing through,' she said sharply. "'Get on with whatever you were doing.' The heads all turned to watch them. But towards the back of the kitchen, a figure unfolded from the old armchair where Mrs. Scorbick sometimes held court, and ambled towards them. "'Oh, blast, it's one of the bloody hangers-on,' said Nanny. "'He's between us and the door.' "'Ladies,' said the vampire, bowing, "'may I be of assistance?' "'We were just leaving,' said Magrat haughtily. "'Possibly not,' said the vampire. "'Excuse me, young man,' said Nanny in her soft old biddy voice. "'But where are you from?' Uberwald, madam. Nanny nodded and referred to a piece of paper she'd pulled out of her pocket. That's nice. What part? Klotz. Really? That's nice. Excuse me. She turned her back, and there was a brief twanging of elastic before she turned round again, all smiles. I just likes to take an interest in people. She said, Klotz, eh? What's the name of that river there? The um? The a? The ah, said the vampire. Nanny's hand shot forward and wedged something yellow between the vampire's teeth. He grabbed her, but as she was dragged forward, she hit him on the top of the head. He fell to his knees, clutching at his mouth and trying to scream through the lemon he'd just bitten into. "'Seems an odd superstition, but there you are,' said Nanny, as he started to foam around the lips. "'You have to cut off their heads, too,' said Magrat. "'Really? Well, I saw a cleaver back there.' "'Shall we just go?' Magrat suggested, "'before someone else comes, perhaps.' "'All right.' He's not a very high-up vampire, anyway, said Nanny dismissively. He's not even wearing a very interesting waistcoat. The night was silver with rain. Heads down, the witches dashed through the murk. I've got to change the baby. For a raincoat would be favourite, muttered Nanny. Now? It's a bit urgent. All right, then, in here. They ducked into the stables. 
Nanny peered back into the night and shut the door quietly. It's very dark, whispered Magret. I could always change babies by feel when I was young. I preferred not to have to. Hey, there's a light. The weak glow of a candle was just visible at the far end of the loose boxes. Igor was brushing the horses until they shone. His muttering kept time with the strokes of the brush. Something seemed to be on his mind. Silly voice, eh? Silly walk. What the hell does he know? Jumped up, whippersnapper. Igor, stop this. Igor, stop that. All these kids wanting around, trying to push me around. There's a covenant in these things. The old master knew that. A servant is not a slave. He glanced around. A piece of straw drifted to the ground. He began brushing again. Huh, fetch this, fetch that. Never a morsel of respect, oh no. Igor stopped and pulled another piece of straw off his sleeve. And another thing. There was a creak, a rush of air, the horse reared in its stall, and Igor was borne to the ground, his head feeling as though it was caught in a vice. Now, if I brings me knees together, said a cheerful female voice above him, it's very probable I could make your brains come right down your nose. But I know that ain't going to happen, because I'm sure we're all friends here. Say yes. Oof. That's the best we're going to get, I expect. Nanny Og got up and flicked straw off her dress. I've been in cleaner haylofts, she said. Up you get, Mr. Igor, and if you're thinking of anything clever, my colleague over there is holding a pitchfork and she ain't much good at aiming, so who knows what part of you she might hit. Is that a baby she's carrying? We're very modern, said Nanny. We've got hedge money and everything. And now we'll have your coach, Igor. Will we? said Magrat. Where are we going? It's a wicked night. I don't want to keep the baby out, and I don't know where we'd be safe near here. Maybe we can get down onto the plains before morning. I won't leave Loncra. Save the child, said Nanny. Make sure there's going to be a future. Besides, she mouthed something at Magrat which Igor did not catch. We can't be sure of that, said Magrat. You know the way Granny thinks, said Nanny. She'll want us to keep the baby safe, she added loudly. So hitch up the horses, Mr. Igor. Yes, mistress, said Igor meekly. Are you kicking my bucket, Igor? In a society that had progressed beyond the privy and the earth closet, she would have said, pulling my chain. No, it's the pleasure to be commanded in a clear, firm, authoritative voice, mistress, said Igor, lurching over to the bridles. None of this would-you-mind rubbish. An Igor likes to know where he stands. Slightly lopsidedly, said Magrat. The old master used to whip me every day, said Igor proudly. You liked that? Of course not, but it's proper. He was a gentleman whose boots I was not fit to lick clean. But you did, though, said Nanny. Igor nodded. Every morning used to get a lovely shine, too. Well, help us out, and I'll see you flogged with a scented boot lace, said Nanny. Thanks all the same, but I'm leaving anyway, said Igor, tightening a strap. I'm thick up to here with this lot. They shouldn't be doing this. They're a disgrace to the species. Nanny wiped her face. I like a man who speaks his mind, she said, and is always prepared to lend a towel. Did I say towel? I mean hand. Are you going to trust him? said Magrat. I'm a good judge of character, me, said Nanny, and you can always rely on a man with stitches all round his head. Whaley, whaley, whaley! Ta can only be twantusen! Big jobs! A fox peered cautiously around a tree. Through the rain-swept woods a man was moving at speed while apparently lying down. He wore a nightcap, the bobble of which bounced on the ground. By the time the fox realised what was going on it was too late. A small blue figure leapt out from under the rushing man and landed on its nose, smacking it between the eyes with its head. See ya! Grichter bones out of tis, Jan! The knack MacFiegel leapt down as the fox collapsed, grabbed its tail with one hand, and ran after the others, punching the air triumphantly. Oh boy! We can eat tonight! They pulled the bed out into the middle of the room. Now Agnes and Oates sat on either side of it, listening to the distant sounds of Hodges' arg feeding the birds. 
There was the rattle of tins and the occasional yelp as he tried to remove a bird from his nose. "'Sorry,' said Agnes. "'Pardon?' "'I thought you whispered something,' said Agnes. "'I was, um, saying a, a short prayer,' said Oates. "'Will that help?' said Agnes. "'Um, it helps me. The prophet Brutha said that Om helps those who help, um, one another. "'And does he? To be honest, there are a number of opinions of what was meant.' "'How many?' "'About, um, one hundred and sixty, since the schism of 10.30 a.m. February the 23rd. "'That was when the reunited Free Chelonianists, Hubward's Convocation, "'schismed from the reunited Free Chelonianists, Rimwood's Convocation. "'It was rather serious.' "'Blood spilled,' said Agnes. "'She wasn't really interested, but it took her mind off whatever might be waking up in a minute.' "'No, um, but there were fisticuffs, and a deacon had ink spilled on him.' I can see that was pretty bad. There was some serious pulling of beards as well. Gosh! Sects maniacs, said Perdita. You're making fun of me, said Oates solemnly. Well, it does sound a little, er, uh, trivial. You're always arguing. The prophet Brutha said, Let there be ten thousand voices, said the priest. Sometimes I think he meant that it was better to argue amongst ourselves um, than go out putting unbelievers to fire and the sword. It's all very complicated, he sighed. There are a hundred pathways to Om. Unfortunately, um, I sometimes think someone left a rake lying across a lot of them. The vampire was right. We've lost the fire. But you used to burn people with it. I know, I know. Agnes saw a movement out of the corner of her eye. Steam was rising from under the blanket they'd pulled over Granny Weatherwax. As Agnes looked down, Granny's eyes sprang open and swivelled from side to side. Her mouth moved once or twice. "'And how are you, Miss, um, Weatherwax?' said mightily Oates in a cheerful voice. "'She was bitten by a vampire. What sort of question is that?' Agnes hissed. "'One that's better than what are you?' Oates whispered. Granny's hands twitched. She opened her mouth again, arched her body against the rope, and then slumped back against the pillow. Agnes touched her forehead and drew her hand back sharply. She's burning up. Hodges, Arg, bring some water. Coming, miss. Oh, no, whispered Oates. He pointed to the ropes. They were unknotting themselves, stealthily moving across one another like snakes. Granny half-rolled, half-fell out of the bed, landing on her hands and knees. Agnes went to pick her up and received a blow from an elbow that sent her across the room. The old witch dragged the door open and crawled out into the rain. She paused, panting as the drops hit her. Agnes swore that some of them sizzled. Granny's hands slipped. She landed in the mud and struggled to push herself upright. Blue-green light spilled out from the muse-open door. Agnes looked back inside. Hodgesarg was staring at a jam jar in which a point of white light was surrounded by a pale blue flame that stretched well beyond the jar and curled and pulsed. What's that? My phoenix feather, miss. It's burning the air. Outside, Oates had pulled Granny upright and had got his shoulder under one of her arms. She said something, he said. I am, I think. She might be a vampire. She just said it again. Didn't you hear? Agnes moved closer, and Granny's limp hand was suddenly gripping her shoulder. She could feel the heat of it through her sodden dress, and made out the word in the hiss of the rain. Iron, said Oates. Did she say iron? There's the castle forge next door, said Agnes. Let's get her in there. The forge was dark and cold, its fire only lit when there was work to be done. They pulled Granny inside, and she slipped out of their grip and landed on hands and knees on the flagstones. But iron's no good against vampires, is it? said Agnes. I've never heard of people using iron. Granny made a noise somewhere between a snort and a growl. She pulled herself across the floor, leaving a trail of mud until she reached the anvil. It was simply a great long lump of iron to accommodate the half-skilled metal bashing occasionally needed to keep the castle running. Still kneeling, Granny grabbed at it with both hands and laid her forehead against it. Granny, what can... Agnes began... "'Go where the others are,' Granny Weatherwax croaked. "'It'll need three witches if this goes wrong. "'You'll have to face something terrible.' "'What terrible thing?' "'Me. Do it now.' Agnes backed away. On the black iron by Granny's fingers, little flecks of rust were spitting and jumping. "'I'd better go. Keep an eye on her. 
But, um, what if... Granny flung her head back, her eyes screwed shut. Get away! She screamed. Agnes went white. You heard what she said, she shouted and ran out into the rain. Granny's head slumped forward against the iron again. Around her fingers, red sparks danced on the metal. Mr. Priest, she said in a hoarse whisper, somewhere in this place is an axe. Fetch it here. Oates looked around desperately. There was an axe, a small double-headed one, lying by a grindstone. Um, I've, um, found one, he ventured. Granny's head jerked back. Her teeth were gritted, but she managed to say, Sharpen it! Oates glanced at the grindstone and licked his lips nervously. Sharpen it right now, I said. He pulled off his jacket, rolled up his sleeves, took up the axe and put a foot on the wheel's treadle. Sparks leapt off the blade as the wheel spun. Then find some wood and cut a point on it and find a hammer. The hammer was easy. There was a rack of tools by the wheel. A few seconds desperate rummaging in the debris by the wall produced a fence post. Madam, um, what are you wanting me to... Something will get up presently, Granny panted. Make sure you know well what it is. But you're not expecting me to, um, to behead. I'm commanding you, religious man. What do you really believe? What did you think it was all about? Singing songs? Sooner or later it's all down to the blood. Her head lolled against the anvil. Oates looked at her hands again. Around them the iron was black, but just a little way from her fingers there was a faint glow to the metal, and the rust still sizzled. He touched the anvil gingerly, then pulled his hand away and sucked at his fingers. "'Mistress Weatherwax's a bit poorly, is she?' said Hodges Arg, coming in. "'I think you could certainly say that, uh, yes. "'Oh, dear. Want some tea?' "'What? It's a nasty night. If we're stopping up, I'll put the kettle on.' "'Do you realise, man, that she might get up from there, um, a bloodthirsty vampire?' "'Oh!' The falconer looked down at the still figure and the smoking anvil. "'Good idea to face her with a cup of tea inside you, then,' he said. "'Do you, um, understand what's going on here?' Hodges Arg took another slow look at the scene. "'No,' he said. "'In that case, it's not my job to understand this sort of thing,' said the falconer. "'I wasn't trained. "'Probably takes a lot of training understanding this. "'That's your job. "'And her job.' Can you understand what's going on when a bird's been trained and will make a kill and still come back to the wrist? Well, um, no. There you are, then, so that's all right. Cup of tea, was it? Oates gave up. Yes, please. Mm, thank you. Hodges Arg bustled off. The priest sat down. If the truth were known, he wasn't sure he understood what was happening. The old woman had been burning up and in pain, and now the iron was getting hot as if the pain and the heat had been moved away. Could anyone do that? Well, of course the prophets could, he told himself, conscientiously. But that was because Om had given them the power. But by all accounts the old woman didn't believe in anything. She was very still now. The others had talked about her as though she was some great magician, but the figure he'd seen in the hall had just been a tired, worn-out old woman. He'd seen people down in the hospice in Abidayal, stiff and withdrawn until the pain was too great and all they had left was a prayer, and then not even that. That seemed to be where she was now. She was really still. Oates had only seen stillness like that when movement was no longer an option. Up the airy mountain and down the rushy glen ran the Knack Fiegel, who seemed to have no concept of stealth. Progress was a little slower now because some of the party broke away occasionally to have a fight amongst themselves or an impromptu hunt, and in addition to the King of Lancre there was now bobbing through the heather the fox, a stunned stag, a wild boar, and a weasel who'd been suspected of looking at a knack in a funny way. Verant saw muzzily that they were heading for a bank at the edge of a field, long deserted and overgrown, topped with some ancient thorn trees. The pixies stopped with a jolt when the king's head was a few inches away from a large rabbit hole. Dana fit it? Yeah, shove it, just shove it, yes. Verence's head was banged, hopefully, against the wet soil once or twice. Hackish lugs away? Big jobs. One of the pixies shook his head. Can a dude can? 
Else you old, Carolyn, he or guts for garters. Unusually, the knack fell silent for a moment. Then one of them said, "No one's got that much guts right to know. And beside, she'll give us a scubricum as well. We oath it. Ye can across a hag. Well, at you know then. Lawrence was dropped on the ground. There was a brief sound of digging and mud showered over him. Then he was picked up again and carried through a much enlarged hole, his nose brushing tree roots in the ceiling. Behind him there was the sound of a tunnel being rapidly filled in. Then there was just a bank where rabbits obviously lived, topped with thorn trees. Unseen in the wild night, the occasional wisp of smoke drifted among the trunks. Agnes leaned against the castle wall, which was streaming with water, and fought for breath. Granny hadn't just told her to go away. The command had hit her brain like a bucket of ice. Even Perdita had felt it. There was no question of not obeying. Where would Nanny have gone? Agnes felt a pressing desire to be near her. Nanny Og radiated a perpetual field of it'll-be-all-rightness. If they'd got out through the kitchens, she could be anywhere. She heard the coach rattle out through the arch that led to the stables. It was just a looming shape shrouded in spray from the rain as it bounced across the cobbles of the courtyard. A figure by the driver, holding a sack over its head against the wind and rain, might have been Nanny. It hardly mattered. No one would have seen Agnes running through the puddles and waving. She trooped back to the arch as the coach disappeared down the hill. Well, they had been trying to get away, hadn't they? And stealing a vampire's coach had a certain Nanny Og style. Someone gripped both her arms from behind. Instinctively, she tried to thrust back with her elbows. It was like trying to move against rock. Why, Miss Agnes Knit, said Vlad coldly. A pleasant stroll to take in a little rain? They've got away from you, she snapped. You think so? Father could send that coach right into the gorge in a moment if he wanted to, said the vampire. But he won't. We much prefer the personal touch. The in-your-neck approach? said Agnes. Ha ha, yes. But he really is trying to be reasonable, so I can't persuade you to become one of us? Agnes? What, someone who lives by taking life from other people? We don't usually go as far as that any more, said Vlad, dragging her forward, and when we do, well, we make sure that we only kill people who deserve to die. Ah, oh, well, that's all right then, isn't it? said Agnes. I'm sure I trust a vampire's judgment. My sister can be a bit too... rigorous at times, I admit. I've seen the people you brought with you. They practically moo. Oh, them. The domestics. Well, it's not much different from the lives they would have had in any case. Better, in fact. They are well-fed, sheltered, milked. Mm, and is that bad? Agnes tried to twist out of his grip. Just here there was no castle wall. There hadn't been any need. Lancre Gorge was all the wall anyone could need, and Vlad was walking her right to the sheer drop. What a stupid thing to say, she said. Is it? I understand you've travelled, Agnes, said Vlad, as she struggled, so you'll know that so many people lead little lives, always under the whip of some king or ruler or master, who won't hesitate to sacrifice them in battle or turn them out when they can't work any more. But they can run away, Perdita prompted. But they can run away. Really? On foot, with a family, and no money. Mostly they never even try. Most people put up with most things, Agnes. That's the most unpleasant, cynical, accurate, Perdita said. Accurate? No. Vlad raised his eyebrows. You have such a strange mind, Agnes. Of course, you are not one of the hmm, cattle. I expect that no witch is. You people tend to know your own mind. He gave her a toothy grin, and on a vampire this was not pleasant. I wish I did. Come along. There was no resisting the pull, unless she wanted to be dragged along the ground. Father's very impressed with you witches, he said over his shoulder. He says we should make you all vampires. He says you're halfway there anyway, but I'd much rather you came to see how marvellous it could be. You would, would you? I'd like to be constantly craving blood. You constantly crave chocolate, don't you? How dare you? Blood tends to be low in carbohydrates. Your body will adapt. The pounds will just... 
drop away. That's sickening. You'll have complete control over yourself. I'm not listening. All it takes is a little prick. It's not going to be yours, mister. Ha, ha, ha. Wonderful, said Vlad, and dragging Agnes behind him, he leapt into the Lankra Gorge. Granny Weatherwax opened her eyes. At least, she had to assume they were open. She'd felt the lids move. Darkness lay in front of her. It was velvet black, starless, a hole in space. But there was light behind her. She was standing with her back to the light. She could sense it, see it on her hands. It was streaming past, outlining the darkness that was the long, rich, deep shadow of her on the black sand. It crunched under her boots as she shifted her weight. This was a test. Everything was a test. Everything was a competition. Life put them in front of you every day. You watched yourself all the time. You had to make choices. You never got told which ones were right. Oh, some of the priests said you got given marks afterwards. But what was the point of that? She wished her mind was working faster. She couldn't think properly. Her head felt full of fog. This wasn't a real place. No, that wasn't the right way of thinking about it. It wasn't a usual place. It might be more real than Lankra. Across it, her shadow stretched, waiting. She glanced up at the tall, silent figure beside her. Good evening. Oh, you again. Another choice, Esmeralda Weatherwax? Light and dark? Hm. It's never as simple as that, you know, even for you. Death sighed. Not even for me. Granny tried to line up her thoughts. Which light and which dark? She hadn't been prepared for this. This didn't feel right. This wasn't the fight she had expected. Whose light, whose mind was this? Silly question. She was always her. Never lose your grip on that. So, light behind her, darkness in front. She'd always said witches stood between the light and the dark. Am I dying? Yes. Will I die? Yes. Granny thought this over. But from your point of view, everyone is dying and everyone will die, right? Yes. So you aren't actually being a lot of help, strictly speaking. I'm sorry. I thought you wanted the truth. Perhaps you were expecting jelly and ice cream? Heh! <laughs> there was no movement in the air, no sound but her own breathing. Just the brilliant white light on one side and the heavy darkness on the other, waiting. Granny had listened to people who'd nearly died, but had come back, possibly because of a deft thump in the right place or the dislodging of some wayward mouthful that had gone down the wrong way. Sometimes they'd talked about seeing a light. That's where she ought to go, a thought told her. But was the light the way in or the way out? Death snapped his fingers. An image appeared on the sand in front of them. She saw herself kneeling in front of the anvil. She admired the dramatic effect. She'd always had a streak of theatrics, although she'd never admit it, and she appreciated, in a disembodied way, the strength with which she had thrust her pain into the iron. Someone had slightly spoiled the effect by putting a kettle on one end. Death reached down and took a handful of sand. He held it up and let it slip between his fingers. Choose, he said. You are good at choosing, I believe. Is there any advice you could be giving me? said Granny. Choose right. Granny turned to face the sheer white brilliance and closed her eyes and stepped backwards. The light dwindled to a tiny distant point and vanished. The blackness was suddenly all around, closing in like quicksand. There seemed to be no way, no direction. When she moved, she didn't sense movement. There was no sound but the faint trickle of sand inside her head. And then, voices from her shadow. Because of you, some died who may have lived. The words lashed at her, leaving livid lines across her mind. Some lived who surely would have died, she said. The dark pulled at her sleeves. You killed. No, I showed the way. Uh -huh. That's just words. Words is important, Granny whispered into the night. You took the right to judge others. I took the duty. I'll own up to it. I know every evil thought you've ever had. I know. The ones you'd never dare tell anyone. I know. All the little secrets never to be told. 
I know how often you longed to embrace the dark. Yes, such strength you could have. Yes, embrace the dark. No, give in to me. No, Lilith Weatherwax did. Alison Weatherwax did. That's never been proved. Give in to me. No, I know you. I've always known you. The Count just let you out to torment me. But I've always known you were there. I've fought you every day of my life and you'll get no victory now. She opened her eyes and stared into the blackness. I knows who you are now, Esmeralda Weatherwax, she said. You don't scare me no more. The last of the light vanished. Granny Weatherwax hung in the dark for a time she couldn't measure. It was as if the absolute emptiness had sucked all the time and direction into it. There wasn't anywhere to go, because there wasn't any anywhere. After a length of time without any measure, she began to hear another sound, the faintest of whispers on the borders of hearing. She pushed towards it. Words were rising through the blackness like little wriggling golden fish. She fought her way towards them, now that there was a direction. The slivers of light turned into sounds. And asketh you in your infinite compassion to see your way clear to possibly intervening here. Not normally the kind of words she'd associate with light. Perhaps it was the way they were said, but they had a strange echo to them, a second voice woven in amongst the first voice, glued to every syllable. What compassion! How many people prayed at the stake! How foolish I look, kneeling like this! Ah! One mind split in half. There were more Agnes's in the world than Agnes dreamed of, Granny told herself. All the girl had done was give a thing a name, and once you give a thing a name, you give it a life. There was something else nearby, a glimmer a few photons across, which winked out as she looked for it again. She turned her attention away from a moment, then jerked it back. Again, the tiny spark blinked out. Something was hiding. The sand stopped rushing. Time was up. Now to find out what she was. Granny Weatherwax opened her eyes, and there was light. The coach swished to a halt on the mountain road. Water poured around its wheels. Nanny got out and paddled over to Igor, who was standing where the road wasn't. Water was foaming where it should have been. Can we get across? said Igor. Probably, but it'll be worse down below, where there's really bad runoff, said Nanny. The plains have been cut off all winter before now. She looked at the other way. The road wound further into the mountains, awash but apparently sound. Where's the nearest village that way? she said. One with a good stone building in it. Slake, isn't it? There's a coaching inn up there. That's right. Slake. Well, we ain't going anywhere on foot in this weather, said Nanny. Slake it's got to be, then. She got back into the coach and felt it turn round. Is there a problem? said Magrat. Why are we going uphill? Roads washed out, said Nanny. We're heading into Uberwald. Yes. But there's werewolves and vampires. Yes, but not everywhere. We should be safe on the main road. Anywhere there's not much of a choice. I suppose you're right, said Magrat reluctantly. And it could be worse, said Nanny. How? Well... There could be snakes in here with us. Agnes saw the rocks rush past, looked down and saw the foam of the swollen river. The world spun around her when Vlad stopped in mid-air. Water washed over her toes. Let there be lightness, he said. You'd like to be as light as air, wouldn't you, Agnes? We've, we've got broomsticks, Agnes panted. Her life had just flashed past her eyes, and wasn't it dull? Perdita added. Useless, cumbersome, stupid things, he said, and they can't do this. The walls of the gorge went past in a blur. The castle dropped away. Clouds drenched her. Then they unrolled as a silver-white fleece under the silent cold of the moon. Vlad wasn't beside her. Agnes slowed in her rise, flung out her arms to grip what wasn't there, and began to fall back. He appeared, laughing, and grabbed her around the waist. Can they? he said. Agnes couldn't speak. Her life passing in front of her eyes one way had met it passing in front of her eyes going the opposite direction, and words would fail her now until she could decide when now was. And you haven't seen anything yet, said Vlad. 
Wisps of cloud coiled behind them as he raced forward. The clouds vanished underneath them. They might have been as thin as smoke, but their presence, their imitation of groundness, had been a comfort. Now they were a departing edge, and far below were the moonlit plains. <coughs> Gurgled Agnes, too tense and terrified even to scream. Whee! crowed Perdita inside. See that? said Vlad, pointing. See the light all around the rim? Agnes stared, because anything now was better than looking down. The sun was under the disk. Around the dark rim, though, it found its way up through the endless waterfall, creating a glowing band between the nighttime ocean and the stars. It was indeed beautiful, but Agnes felt that beauty was even more likely to be in the eye of the beholder if the feet of the beholder were on something solid. At ten thousand feet up, the eye of the beholder tends to water. Perdita thought it was beautiful. Agnes wondered if, should Agnes end up as a circle of pink splash marks on the rocks, Perdita would still be there. Everything you want, whispered Vlad. Forever. I want to get down, said Agnes. He let go. There was this about Agnes's shape. It was a good one for falling. She turned automatically belly down, hair streaming behind her, and floated in the rushing wind. Oddly enough, the terror had gone. That had been fear of a situation out of her control. Now, arms outspread, skirts whipping her legs, eyes streaming in the freezing air, she could at least see what the future held, even if it was not big enough to hold very much. Perhaps she could hit a snowbank or deep water. It might have been worth a try, said Perdita. He doesn't seem entirely bad. Shut up. It'd just be nice if you could stop looking as though you were wearing saddlebags under your skirt. Shut up. And it'd be nice if you didn't hit the rocks like a balloon full of water. Shut up! Anyway, I can see a lake. I think I can sort of angle across towards it. And at this speed, it will be like hitting the ground. How do you know that? I don't know that, so how do you know? Everyone knows that. Vlad appeared alongside Agnes, lounging on the air as though it were a sofa. Enjoying it, he said. It's fine so far, said Agnes, not looking at him. She felt him touch her wrist. There was no real sense of pressure, but the fall stopped. She felt as light as the air again. Why are you doing this? she said. If you're going to bite me, then get it over with. Oh, but I couldn't be having with that. You did it to Granny, said Agnes. Yes, but when it's against someone's will, well, they end up so compliant. Little more than thinking food. But someone who embraces the night of their own volition. Oh, that's another thing entirely, my dear Agnes. And you're far too interesting to be a slave. Tell me, said Agnes, as a mountain top floated by, have you had many girlfriends? He shrugged. One or two? Village girls? Housemaids? And what happened to them, may I ask? Don't look at me like that. We still find employment for them in the castle. Agnes loathed him. Perdita merely hated him, which is the opposite pole to love and just as attractive. But Nanny said, if the worst came to the worst, and then he'll trust you, uh, they've already got Granny. If I'm a vampire, she said, I won't know good from evil. That's a bit childish, isn't it? They're only ways of looking at the same thing. You don't always have to do what the rest of the world wants you to do. Are you still toying with her? Lacrimosa was walking towards them on the air. Agnes saw the other vampires behind her. "'Bite her or let her go,' the girl went on. "'Good grief, she's so blobby. "'Come on, father wants you. "'They're heading for our castle. "'Isn't that just too stupid?' "'This is my affair, Lackey,' said Vlad. "'Every boy should have a hobby, but really,' said Lacrimosa, "'rolling her black-rimmed eyes.' "'Vlad grinned at Agnes. "'Come with us,' he said. "'Granny did say you need to be with the others.' Perdita pointed out. Yes, but how will I find them when we're there? said Agnes aloud. Oh, we'll find them, said Vlad. I meant, do come. We don't intend to hurt your friends. Much, said Lacrimosa. Or we could leave you here, said Vlad, smiling. Agnes looked around. They had touched down on the mountain peak above the clouds. She felt warm and light, which was wrong. Even on a broomstick she'd never felt like this. She'd always been aware of gravity sucking her down, but with the vampire holding her arm, every part of her felt that it could float forever. 
Besides, if she didn't go with them, it was going to be either a very long or an extremely short journey down to the ground. Besides, she would find the other two, and you couldn't do that when you were dying in some crevasse somewhere. Besides, even if he did have small fangs and a terrible taste in waistcoats, Vlad actually seemed attracted to her. It wasn't even as if she had a very interesting neck. She made up both minds. If you attached a piece of string to her, I suppose we could tow her like some sort of balloon, said Lacrimosa. Besides, there was always the chance that at some point she might find herself in a room with Lacrimosa, and when that happened, she wouldn't need garlic, or a steak, or an axe. Just a little talk about people who were too unpleasant, too malicious, too thin. Just five minutes alone. And perhaps a pin, said Perdita.